Church, it's so good to see you this morning. As we continue to worship, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Do you, do you trust God completely? Let's sit under the weight of that question. Do you, do you trust God completely? What does it even mean to trust God completely? What, what does that look like in the very details of your life? I heard a, a rather silly story this last week. It doesn't sound silly at the beginning, but it, it, it is a story of a, of a hiker that takes a, a misstep and begins to, to fall down the side of a cliff. And on his way to sudden and imminent death, he, he grabs a hold of, of a branch and he looks down. There's 500 feet between him and, and death there. And he, and he looks up to the heavens and he, and he cries out, is there anybody up there? The voice of God replies to him in his desperation. I'm here. Trust me. Let go. The man looks down and he looks back up and he says, is there anybody else up there? (laughs) And it's a silly story. But you get the point. Do we really trust God completely? Do, Do we trust God when it feels as if we're hanging on in our personal life? Hanging on in the face of difficulty, do we trust him completely? Do we trust him when, when things are just going great? And it, and it doesn't feel as if the lyrics of the song that we just sang are, are actually the, the words that lead us forward. Do we really need him? Oh, how we need him every hour. Do you, do you trust God completely? What does that even look like? We're in a series entitled uh, Walking in the Will of God. We looked last week at Psalm 23. As we think of the will of God, so often we think about our steps that we take. But I think it's important for us to begin not with what you do or not do, but to be reminded that that we serve a, a great and good shepherd who loves you intimately, desires to, to provide for you personally, desires to lead you, it leads you to, to make you lie down in green pastures, to lead you beside still waters, to, to restore your soul, to anoint your uh, cup with uh, oil. And your, your, your cup runneth over, to anoint your head with oil. Your cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But we have a, a good shepherd who desires to lead us. But do we trust that good shepherd? That's the question. Do we trust him completely? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 are arguably the most familiar uh, scripture passages in, in all of the book of Proverbs. Verses 5 through 6 are passages that are familiar to many of you who have hidden God's word in your heart. And it is an assurance, not only that God cares for us intimately, but he desires to lead us. Listen to the words of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord 
with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do you remember some of you memorizing this in the uh, old King James Bible? In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. There are many of us that want to claim the promise of verse 6 while ignoring the precepts that precede the promise. Uh, There there are many of us that, that want God's guidance in our life we want him to, to make straight our paths, but, but we really don't want to acknowledge him in all of our ways. We would rather lean on our own understanding. We'd rather hold on instead of letting go. We, we would rather hold on to what is familiar to us, whether it be sin or our own understanding. We would rather hold on to the comfort of what we know than to, to let go and to trust him to lead us and to guide him. We want verse 6 without traveling the terrain Verses 1 through 5. What does it look like to travel those roads? Well, notice in this passage here that our obedient trust is, or our obedient trust in the Lord, it, it leads to guidance from the Lord. And so how do we obediently trust? Well, number one, this morning we trust God's truth as the authority for our life. What has the final say in your life? What is, what is truth with the capital T in your life? What, what gets the, the stamp to, uh, that, that really shapes everything else that you see and that you think? What, what is and who is the, the ultimate authority in your life? Notice in this most familiar of Proverbs, Solomon, the father, is sitting down with a son. And it seems to be some type of transitional moment. This is the Senior Sunday in the life of our church. We've had uh, many graduates that we're celebrating today, and we're grateful for the way that God has led them uh, through their, their years. And, and you can imagine sort of this image, especially with so many seniors graduating and heading to that, that next season of life. You can imagine Solomon, a loving father who's raised his son under his care, and, and they've loaded up the U-Haul trailer. His son knows his roommate as he heads off to college. They've got everything loaded up. They're ready to go. And and the dad sits him down and says, okay, okay, listen, listen, listen. I've had 18 years with you. These are the final words I want you to remember. This is what I want you to hold on to. Don't forget my teaching, he says. At the very heart of who you are, keep my commandments. Now, it's interesting here. Law and commandments is is what Solomon is wanting his, his son to hold on to. And notice how he personalizes it. My law, my teaching, my commandments. Solomon isn't talking about a, a new set of commandments that he wrote on Mount Sinai. No, he, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the law, law, the Torah, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the very Word of God that is shaping that, that Jewish nation. And it is so close to Solomon that he's saying, don't forsake the teaching of God's word that I have I passed on to you. Don't graduate from God's word. Where you think, hey, there was a time where God's word was a good guide for my life, but now I've gotten to the horizon of adulthood and, and I can move on, I can mature past the, the elementary teachings of God's word. And now I have come to this, this path of enlightenment where I am the final say. Solomon says, no, 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 no. Don't forsake the foundation that I've raised you in, 
The very teaching of the law, the the commandments that I've passed to you, rather, he says, hide them close to you. Notice in this passage, he says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What he is is saying is not just outward acknowledgement of the word of God, but the word of God that is penetrated into the depth of one's soul. It is not just an acknowledgement of the Word of God, but it is a submission to the Word of God. It is an intimacy with the Word of God. He, he's echoing, Solomon is here in Proverbs, he's echoing one of the more famous of, of the Old Testament passages that we, we know to be the Shema. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, Deuteronomy chapter 6. He goes on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, Moses says, and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on, notice the repetition, your heart. These words, Deuteronomy, that God has given me, that I'm passing to you, children, the Israelites, don't just hear them in your ears, but let them change your heart. Let them be close to you. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That no part of your life is off limits to the word of God. And it is, it is, it is giving the, the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun. It, it bookends your day. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You look through scripture to see where you're going here. You should write them on the doorposts of your house and and own your gates. It is an intimacy with the word of God that shapes Solomon's path to his son here. It is an intimacy of the word of God. And, and, and what Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is talking about is the law. He is talking about the first five books that we know to be the Torah, the Pentateuch. And so here we have, as Christians, the riches of of 66 books of the Bible. We we have the New Testament. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have the formation of the church. We know how this story is going to end in the book of Revelation. How much more so should we hear these words and say, thank you for the treasure, God, that you've given us, that you are a God who is not silent. And we don't just acknowledge this. But rather, we sit in submission to this. It transforms us. It's close to us. So when we wake up in the morning, we have a decision to make. We have a decision to say, in that moment, would be the first thing that we feed on or or the news of the day. There's There's nothing wrong with the news of the day. There's nothing wrong with scrolling, but, but what would it look like for each and every one of us that are here this morning to say, before you scroll, feed your soul? I mean, what would it look like if the first thing that we do is to acknowledge God and his sovereignty over our life and to submit ourselves before we even get out of the bed and to say, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And to be shaped as the writer in Deuteronomy is saying here that when you get up and when you go to bed, that we're bookend by, by a, a word that shapes everything that we see. There, there's nothing wrong with these voices. There are some voices that are sinful voices that we, we should close our ears to. We should, we should repent of. But, but some voices are just distracting voices. And because we we live lives at times that are wordless, wordless lives, we can't hear the voice of God 
Because we do not have an intimacy with him in and through his word. You remember that old cliche, you are what you eat? It, it sticks as a cliche because we know it to be true. I mean, you cannot have a diet that is nothing but junk food and think that you are going to flourish physically. I mean, if I told you, hey, I'm not doing whole 30, I'm not going to do paleo, all those kinds of things. I'm going to do 30 days. Listen, 30 days. The only thing I'm going to eat are Twinkies. Hostess Twinkies. When I wake up, Twinkies in the morning. For lunch, Twinkies. For dinner, Twinkies. At the end of the night, Twinkies. Now you would say to me, well, hey, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know if that's really wise here. That's going to do something to you. If if that is your diet for 30 days, you know what's going to happen day 10? I don't know what day it's going to be, but you're going to start to look a little bit like a Twinkie. You're going to be a little kind of squishy in the middle, right? But more than that, we can't give ourselves 100% to junk food because why? We deprive ourselves of the vital nutrients to feed our brain, to be able to flourish physically. But there's some of us, if we're going to be honest, that have feasted on the world to our spiritual malnourishment. There's some of us in this sanctuary that just need to admit that instead of feasting on the Word of God and it shaping us, we are distant from the Word of God. We're, we're, we're not studying it. We're not reading it. We're not, we're not submitting to it. We're not asking God, how does this word that I am listening to and reading this morning shaping the workplace, my family? And we wonder why we feel as if we're blowing in the wind, the wind of opinions, the wind of circumstances. You know why? Weightless. The word grounds us. It centers us. It shapes us. You remember Paul? He's writing to the church at Rome. There's this transitional passage in Romans chapter 12 where it says, Therefore, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a spiritual act of worship. Stop being conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what he is saying here is that we have to make a conscious decision to not be uh, metabolized. That we're taking in the, the world and we're, we're eating that in such a way that we look like the world. We, we sound like the world, but rather we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is a diet where the, the primary intake is going to be the word of God prayerfully as we listen to and submit to it. My question to you is, what's your diet like? What's your diet like? What's your diet like this last week, spiritually? Hey, this this is not a guilt, this is not a shame, but this is just a realization that at the end of the day, if we want to be guided by the Lord, we must feast upon his voice and he has spoken to us in the riches of scripture. So trust God's truth as the authority for your life. Secondly, trust God fully as he directs your life. I love verses five through six. This is one of the reasons some of the earliest verses that you would memorize in the, in the second grade or the first grade or the third grade or fourth grade that, that parents are teaching to their kids are trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will do what? He will make straight your paths. It's an ordering promise here though. 
Notice that the guidance of the Lord, again, is predicated upon obedience to the Lord. We receive guidance when we trust him. We receive guidance when we do not lean on our understanding. We we receive guidance when we trust him with all of our heart. In all of our ways, acknowledge him. Notice the encompassing nature of, of, of what God is calling us to trust him with. All of our heart. To trust him in all of our ways. I love Derek Kidner. He's a, he's a great. We have so many Sunday school teachers, life group leaders that are in this room right here. There's no, no more concise and clear commentator on the Old Testament than Derek Kidner. Der, Derek Kidner, in his commentary in the book of Proverbs, he unpacks the richness of that Hebrew word that we translate trust. And it's an image that lies behind it of a person lying helplessly on the floor, face down. On the floor, face down, it's an image of a soldier that has yielded himself or herself completely to a commanding officer. What the officer says, the soldier does. Why? That that soldier is under the complete authority of, of the officer. And it reiterates here. The writer of Proverbs is saying, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. That that he desires to to rule and to reign over every aspect of your life. And so the question is, what area of your life is off limits to his rule and to his reign? He he comes to us, God does, as master and as Lord. We want want to change the agreement in Scripture. We would say, hey, God, thanks for the offer. I would rather you be a life coach that I can sort of have a contract with. When I'm in a need, I need some guidance, I would love to call you so you can give me a pick-me-up. We would rather say, hey, God, how about this? How about you be a consultant that we have on retainer? And so when we're in a bind, when when we're in a predicament, we can call upon you. And, of course, we can call upon the Lord at any time. But he desires to reign and to rule over every aspect of your life and my life. Nothing's off limits. Now, we want to divide it up. We want to say, God, we, we desire the transformation of our life. We desire for the Spirit of God to renovate our old self into a new self. But when you're doing the demolition work, will you save one room? God says, hey, the, the, the top story's got to go. The, the bottom floor's got to go. The basement's got to go. And we say, oh, okay, 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 okay. Hey, but in the midst of of the demolition, in the midst of the renovation, save me one room. We all do it. I do it, you do it, we all do it. It's it's a room of our habits that we say, I surrender all but. And if we're honest in our life and in our actions, we have one room that we say, this is mine. Maybe it's a room of bitterness and resentment. You know God's calling you to forgive. You know God is calling you to own your knees, to be able to move forward. But, but you have a room of resentment. You have a room of bitterness. And you say, I surrender all, but not that. Maybe it's a, a room of, of priorities. And, and you know that he's calling you to, to, to kneel down. You know your priorities are in such a way that is not honoring to the Lord. And you say, you can have it all. But what is really most important is this room right here. And, and we have to ask the question when we sing, I surrender all, what type of footnoting are we doing when we sing all? I surrender all. And all 
your ways, acknowledge him. To love him with all of your heart. I love C.S. Lewis, mere Christianity, he says that Christ says, give me, you see that word again? Three letters, all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you, I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures or any good. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think, look, this is why Lewis was so insightful. The rooms that we hold off limits aren't always sinful rooms. Sometimes they're the innocent rooms. Sometimes they're the the rooms that we say, God, this is something that that, that you've given to me as a gift, but, but I worship it more than you as the giver here. So Lewis is insightful when he says, give all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will should become yours. Now, what's the opposite of this? I am so glad you asked. Because Solomon, in Proverbs chapter 3, he he gives us, right embedded between verse 5 and verse 6 right here, he gives us the opposite. And the opposite is leaning on our own understanding. So so when we say, God, I'm not going to trust you with all of my heart. I'm not going to acknowledge you in all of my ways. You know what we're doing? We're leaning on our own understanding. Now, Solomon isn't giving us this path of anti-intellectualism. He's not saying that we as followers of Jesus should should park common sense at the door when we follow him. He he is not saying that we should not pursue him with our mind. What he is saying is, is that when we lean, notice that word lean, we put all of our weight on our understanding, it is faulty. It cannot bear the weight. It would be funny. I'm not going to do it. But if I put this right here and I leaned all of my weight on it, you would gasp. Why? Can't hold me. I would tumble. But we do it. We lean all of our understanding. Sometimes we trust in, in, in our understanding, our perspective as best, as clear, as comprehensive. And it's just not. You know why? Because your understanding and my understanding, it's fallen and it's finite. It's fallen in the sense that you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God is doing a renovation, but it is not going to be completed until we get to heaven. And so your understanding and my understanding at times will be faulty. We can, we can rationalize sin. We can deceive ourselves. We can say, well, look how much better I am than that guy. It's faulty. It's fallen. And it's finite. God is the only being who is, and we call it, theologically, we call it omniscient. It just means all-knowing. So he is the only one who knows it all. But the temptation for us or not to submit to the all-knowing God, but for us to prop ourselves up as know-it-alls. It's just one of the things that happens. And it is the ruin of pride that got to the heart of Satan and it gets to the heart of each and every one of us. We think we know better than God and we show that through our actions. When I was growing up, I don't know, maybe 15, 16, 17, you go through that period of life where you, you know it all. I still, I still have to repent of that. I mean, the, the pride of the heart. And I remember my grandmother, 
She would listen to me talk sometimes. She would ask questions. And, there, you know, you go through these stages where, where you know better than mom, you know better than dad, you've got a clear perspective. I know no other teenagers go through that. It was just sort of like solitary with me right there. You know how that goes. And she would look at me and she would say, well, David, this is my grandmother, aren't you a little too big for your britches? <laughs> And she wasn't, she wasn't talking about my Twinkie diet. She wasn't, she wasn't talking about waistline. She was talking about ego and submitting my ego, humbling myself to where I could recognize that one of the most spiritual phrases that a follower of Jesus can say, give it a try, is this, I don't know. I don't know. So, sometimes our lack of being willing to say, I don't know, is a sign that we're not on our knees in submission to him and there are areas of our life that are off limits to him because we're leaning on our own understanding. There is a better way. And it is a way that leads to the flourishing of of our life here. It's a way where he leads us when we submit to him, when we give him our aspirations and we give him our desires in the ways that we acknowledge him, he will make straight your paths. We misread this passage all the time. It says, he will make straight your paths. We read it as, acknowledge him, trust him, and he will lead you down the one path. But isn't it interesting, and it's so comforting, because there there can be this idea with God's will that if you mess up, if if you really mess up, at 17 or 27 or 37 or 47, you, you think to yourself, what's it worth? I'm, I'm so far gone that I can never get back in, into the purview of his will and his way. And what Solomon says, when you trust him with all your heart, you acknowledge him in all of your ways, no matter how crooked your journey has been over decades or months or weeks, he will make straight your path, whatever path you're on. He will make it straight. He he can make a straight line with the crookedest of lives. He can do that with you. And many of you can look back and to see that you weren't on the right road. But when you confess that, he was able to take you at that place and to lead you. You're never too far gone. You're never too far gone. No matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, no matter the hurt, no matter the pain, no matter the sin, you're you're never out of his neighborhood of love. No matter how far you think you've traveled, the the miles and miles out of his will, he is so sovereign, he is so good that you're still in the purview of his love and of his grace. Will you turn to him? He'll make straight your path. Henry Nowen is a prolific writers in heaven now. Henry Nouwen was a, a priest, and toward the end of his life, he became sort of fascinated with, with uh, trapeze artists. Do you know what I'm talking about? Think, think circus here. 
Think of the flying rod leaves. This is the, the, the troop that he became sort of fascinated with. They're soaring through the air. This acrobatic artist flying from one hands to the next hands. The oohs and the awls from the, the crowd below looking and gasping at, at what could be death before each and every one of them as they, they fly through the air. And, and, and now one sits down with the leader of the troop that he admired for so many years. And he asks them, hey, describe for me what it's like to fly through the air. And he says, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public, the crowd below, they, they might think that I'm the great star of the trapeze, but the real star, his name was Joe. Joe, that's my catcher. He has to be there for me with the split-second precision, grab me out of the air as I come to him on the long jump. Now and ask, well, how in the world does that work? He answered, it's that the flyer, the secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I simply have to stretch out my arms, stretch out my hands, and wait for him to to catch me and to pull me to safety over the apron beyond the catch bar. And now it's that you you do nothing, really. Is, Is that really the secret? You do nothing? He again repeated nothing. The worst thing, the worst thing that the flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grabbed his wrist, I might break them, or he might break mine, and that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch. The flyer must trust with outstretched arms that this catcher will be there for him. Don't miss that last line. Don't miss this living parable right here before you. The flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. When you trust God with all of your heart, when you acknowledge him in all of your ways, when you surrender your agenda to his agenda, God will catch you. He will keep you. His promise is to hold you and to do for you what you cannot do in your own strength and your own understanding. My question to you this morning is, do you trust him? Will you trust him without stretched arm.